quite possibly the last time in my life. My appearance? Well, it's never easy for a man to describe himself, but I will be honest and say that I could not call myself handsome. My hair was black, my eyes an indifferent shade of brown. I was slender, and though only in my forties, I was already too put upon by the challenges life had thrown my way. I was unmarried, and sometimes I worried that it showed in my wardrobe which was perhaps a little too well-worn. If there were a dozen men in the room, I would be the last to speak. That was my nature. I was at Reichenbach five days after the confrontation that the world has come to know was the final problem. Well, there was nothing final about it, as we now know, and I guess that just leaves us with the problem. So, let's take it from the start. Sherlock Holmes the greatest consulting detective who ever lived, flees England in fear of his life. Dr. Watson, who knows the man better than anyone and who would never hear a word said against him, is forced to admit that this time Holmes is at less than his best, utterly worn out by the predicament in which he finds himself and which he cannot control. Can we blame him? He has been attacked no fewer than three times in the space of just one morning. He has come within an inch of being crushed by a two-horse van that rushes past him on Welbeck Street. He has almost been hit by a brick that falls, or is thrown, from a roof on Veer Street. And right outside Watson's front door, he finds himself attacked by some good fellow who's been waiting with a bludgeon. Does he have any choice but to flee? Well, yes. There are so many other choices available to him that I have to wonder what exactly was in Mr. Holmes's mind. Not, of course, that he's particularly forthcoming in the stories, all of which I've read, without everyone's guessing the solution for what it's worth. To begin with, what makes him think he will be safer on the continent than he will be closer to home? London itself is a densely knit, teeming city, which he knows intimately. and. As he once confided, he has many rooms, five small refuges, Watson says, scattered around the place which are known only to him. He could disguise himself. In fact, he does disguise himself. Only the next day, after Watson has arrived at Victoria Station, he notices an aged Italian priest in discussion with a porter and even goes so far as to offer him his assistance. Later, the priest enters his carriage and the two of them sit together face to face for several minutes before Watson recognizes his friend. Holmes's disguises were so brilliant that he could have spent the next three years as a Catholic priest without anyone being the wiser. He could have entered an Italian monastery, Padre Sherlock. That would have thrown his enemies. They might even have let him pursue some of his other interests, beekeeping, for example, on the side. Instead, Holmes goes herring off on a journey that seems to have nothing that resembles an itinerary, and he asks Watson to accompany him. Why? The most incompetent criminal will surely work out that where one goes, the other will quite probably follow. And let's not forget that we are talking here about a criminal like no other, the master of his profession, a man who is equally feared and admired by Holmes himself. I don't believe for a minute that he could possibly have underestimated Moriarty. Common sense tells me that he must have been playing another game. Sherlock Holmes travels to Canterbury, New Haven, Brussels, and Strasbourg, followed every step of the way, 
at Strasbourg, he receives a telegram from the London police informing him that all the members of Moriarty's gang have been captured. This is, as it turns out, quite false. One key player has slipped through the net. Although I use the term ill-advisedly as the big fat fish that is Colonel Sebastian Moran has never been anywhere near it. Colonel Moran, the finest sharpshooter in Europe, was well known to Pinkerton's, by the way. Indeed, by the end of his career, he was known to every law enforcement agency on the planet. He had been famous once for bringing down eleven tigers in a single week in Rajasthan, a feat that astonished his fellow hunters as much as it outraged the members of the Royal Geographical Society. Holmes called him the second most dangerous man in London all the more so in that he was motivated entirely by money. The murder of Mrs. Abigail Stewart, for